0: So uh, we're wrapping up James, and uh, we will finish by the end of September, and then uh, in October uh, decided we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit, and uh, just really felt the Lord compelling us to do that. We're going to dive into it. I know some of you aren't from Pentecostal backgrounds, and, and you know, so some of that stuff is a little foggy out there to you, and so we're hoping we can do this series and help clear that up, and how many of you know, well, I just want more of the Holy Spirit? I just want all that he has for us, and so we're going to press into that in the month of October, and then we're going to go in to our, uh, our Kingdom Builders Conference for a couple of weeks, and we'll have missionaries and uh, local, local missionaries, all kinds of things. It's going to be a great several weeks here as we go. And so I just want to say it this way. If you miss a Sunday, you miss a lot. You miss a lot. There are so many good things that happen on a Sunday, so just do your best. I get it. I know you got to leave sometimes, but when you're here, man, if you can join us, it's awesome. James chapter 4, verse 13, uh, several years ago, at uh, the other church that I that I pastored, we decided that uh, we were going to plant a church. We we're going to plant a church out of our church, and that's called a pack church or a parent affiliated church. And we began to work on that and develop that. It took about a year of planning and and just just all the things that happened. And so I remember one day uh, I I was just totally I was two things. And Max can probably relate. I was totally convinced that this was what God wanted me to do, and I was scared out of my mind (laughs) about what it was. I was so afraid of all kinds of things, failure, financial collapse, people would hate my guts, whatever. I was just so afraid of all these things. And uh, I went, you know, we were developing it and and whatever, and I went to a staff meeting, and we're talking about it. And uh, I just said, I just threw it out there. I said, guys... Do you, do you think we're supposed to do this? I was feeling insecure in that moment, and they just started hammering me with reasons why we shouldn't do it. All the reasons this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. Our church isn't developed. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have enough money. All these things that we, how many of you know God works outside of those things? When you don't have enough, he makes up the difference, right? So the op- So I was already feeling a little bit insecure about it. And I think that in their, heart, in their heart and their mind, they were trying to talk me out of it, but all they did is solidify in my heart that I knew this is what God wanted. And I said to them, finally we get down to the meeting, and I'm like, guys, I don't know what to tell you. I have to lead this church to do this because I know it's the will of God. It's the will of God. How many of you have ever had to combat and figure out and find the will of God? I maybe we found that to be challenging <laughs> to find the will of God. That's what James comes to here when we know it's the will of God. So he says in verse 13, we're in chapter 4, verse 13, Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town or we will stay there for a year and we'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live here and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans. That's kind of a mean thing to say. And all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Man, that's a challenging passage. How many of you are really awesome at making plans for your life? Some of you are like, man, you are gifted at getting, like, not very many hands. I'm really surprised. Like, you get out the, the Excel spreadsheet, and you budget, and you plan the next, you know, 18 months of your life, and like, you you just, it never works out, but you plan it, and you work on it, and you, and you try to figure out what it is. That's like, that's like the way that I am. I love to plan. I love to strategize and think through these things, and I, here's what I've learned. Not everybody's like me. Some people are so afraid or so, so scared of what the will of God is or how I might miss the will of God or how I might step outside of God's perfect will from things like that. How many of you have heard things like that? Is that? And that affects our faith. Well, James is addressing that here. And I just think the will of God is so often misunderstood and mischaracterized. And some people, like Max, delay getting into the will of God in their, that was a joke, Max. That was a joke. You were walking up, so I thought I'd say (laughs) it. I think that we tend to overcomplicate the will of God. I think we tend to get freaked out by the will of God or really missing the will of God, so much so that many Christians that I have known in my life and been a part of have paralyzed themselves from advancing in God's plan for their life because they're so afraid of messing it up. So I just let me give you just a few misconceptions or a few issues or things that we deal with, uh, with the, when we think about the will of God before I get into my main points. So these are pre-points. <laughs> so one, there's, there's confusion about the will of God. What is the will of God? Well, I've heard words like this, the acceptable will of God. Here's how I define the acceptable will of God. It's the will of God that I will accept what God is asking, but I'll only begrudgingly. <laughs> I don't really want to do what you're telling me to do, God, but I'm going to do it because you're God, and if I don't, bad things could happen in my life, right? Then you have, I've heard this, this term, the permissible will of God. Anybody heard that before? That, that God only kind of approves of what you want to do or your plans. He'll let you do it, but he's pretty much not on board with what you've got going on. That's the permissible will of God. And then then I've heard this, that that the one place you want to be in your life more than anywhere else is the perfect will of God. And it feels like threading a needle to find the perfect will of God. It's this perfect will of God where there is a singular will of God and then there's everything else. And if you, God forbid, marry the wrong person or get the wrong degree in college or choose the wrong career or buy the wrong house or or pick up the wrong loaf of bread, you are out of the will of God and you have missed it. Then you have different philosophies about the will of God, not just confusion, philosophies, maybe God's will people think is unknowable. We don't know God's will. We are simply pawns in his game on the earth. And so our job is to shut up and take it. But that's his will. We can't know it. We can't understand it. We can't grab it. So let's just let it be what it is. Some of our founding fathers were like that. They didn't know what was going to happen. Comprehensive, some people think it's a comprehensive will of God. As I alluded, it it encompasses every decision we could possibly make. Some people believe the will of God is only specific for a very few choice group of people and these are the people we read about. These are the people that made history. These are the people that did extraordinary things with their life. And so God has a very specific plan for them. But for the rest of us, we're just waltzing through this earth and God's like, whatever you want to do, no problem with me. And that's, that's how some people view it. Some frequently asked questions. I thought we should have an FAQ section. <laughs> these are real though. Why does God... Why does God's will sometimes include difficult circumstances? Why is it sometimes, even in you know, the perfect will of God, if you subscribe to that, why does it include suffering? Why does it include pain? Why does it include loss? Weren't you taught that in the perfect will of God, there's nothing but bliss? Well, Jesus might say something else about it. The Apostle Paul might have something else to say about suffering. See, suffering is part of the will of God because through the suffering, the Bible says we learn the will of God and we learn discipline and we learn discipleship through suffering. How many of you know uh, there's a saying, "You you learn a lot more when you lose than when you win? You learn a lot more when you lose. You learn a lot more about the things of God and the faithfulness of God and the power of God when you suffer as for when things are just wonderful in your life. My grandfather used to always say that the church does better. When the economy and the culture and the, and the political realm is in shambles, the church does better than when everything is going well. He's right. Number two, why does, God, why does clear direction seem to take so long to come? Why does it seem like for sometimes weeks, months, or even years, we will ask God what he wants us to do, or ask God, and we get, we struggle to find clarity in the direction that God has for our life, and we begin to think that God's will is unknowable, that he doesn't want to tell us what he wants for our life. He doesn't want to reveal his will for us and what he wants us to do, and I just want to say that is wrong. The reason that it seems to be delayed sometimes is we are not aware of what God is doing on the other side that we can't see. We are not aware of the things that God has to work out. In other words, for instance, uh, you know, the, the spies that went into Jericho, we're not aware of what God had to do or say to Rahab so she would be ready to protect them. Does that make sense? So sometimes the delay happens because it's, the timing is off, and God is preparing something on the other side. There may be other reasons, but I'm going to stop there. Number three, does God have a specific, articulate, and exact will for every part of my life? No. Flat no. And yes. How do you like that ambiguity? Yes and no. Yes, there are parts of God's life, there are parts of your life that God has a very specific pathway he'd like you to take. And, and why do I think that? Because the Bible says that everything that I would do was written down in the book before I was born. Right? So that means that God has so, those specific things. Does it mean that if if I make a decision that if for my life that may be outside of that, uh, that I have all is lost? No. And I'll say it this way, God's, God can make a plan B better than he even planned for plan A. Case in point, Jesus Christ was plan B. Plan A was the law. Well, that didn't work out. I mean, read read Hebrews 8. It says that God gave the law, and because we couldn't be faithful to the law, man could not live by the law. God had to create and make another way, which became Jesus. Now, some of you will say he was slain from the foundation of the earth, and and I I understand all that, because God sees the end from the beginning, right? But what if Israel had said, oh, we're going to be faithful to the law? Would there have been a need for Jesus? God can take your plan B and make it better than even the plan A was because he's a redeeming kind of God. Number four, does every decision I make play into God's will for my life? Yes and no. I'll give you this example. If you are called by God to do something in your life and maybe plant a church or whatever, and you decide to only eat double quarter pounders with cheese every day of your life for every meal, how many of you know you might limit the plan God has for your life? (laughs) I mean, I love a good double quarter pounder, but... So does every decision? Yes and no. Number five, is it easy to fall out of the will of God? No. Here's why. If your heart truly pursues the Lord, if your heart truly wants, I I used to tell my teenagers this when I was a youth pastor. Believe it or not, I was a youth pastor. And I would say, guys, because youth are sometimes so scared about messing up God's will for their life. And I'd say to them, guys, if you pursue Jesus, If you make him your number one pursuit, if you go after God with all your heart and all your soul, you can't mess it up. Why? Because God gently and with discipline and with difficulty sometimes, but also with blessing, will steer your life in such a way that you will be in his will. You can't mess it up. Now, you ever get outside of that? You ever decide, you know what, I think I'm better than God? I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to invent some new things and do it the way I want. You're going to get out of the will of God. But you choose to do that. Are you with me? I just want to demystify that. Like, you choose, when you, if a Christian gets out of the will of God, it's because they have chosen to get out of the will of God. It didn't happen accidentally. I just want to give you some assurance in your heart. Okay? All right. Now now let's get to the main points. The main points. <laughs> the main points. Five keys from this passage concerning the will of God. Here's the first one, James chapter 4, verse 13. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go here and do this or that. We'll make money, we'll do business. And then James says in verse 14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? So here's the first point, and real clear. Willful arrogance will hijack God's will for your life. Willful arrogance will hijack God's will for your life. Arrogance is stubborn, uh, I've got this, and I don't need God kind of attitude. But it can also be an attitude which leaves God out of the equation. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, people like me, so I'm going to go do what I want to do. Come on, that was funny, Naren. It's leaving God. Arrogance is not just shaking your fist at God that I don't, I got this man, I don't want your way. Arrogance is also trying to have a form of godliness and a form of serving God, but begin to choose the only the way you want to go. Why do we do that? Because it's easier to do what we want to do than it is to ask God what he wants us to do. See, if we don't ask God what his plan for our life is, then he can't redirect our steps. He can't order our steps. He can't lead us down the right things in our lives that he has for us. And in our arrogance of leaving God out of the equation, we can miss his will. It's a very dangerous place to be for a believer. And I, I, I had two thoughts about that, two people from the Bible that I would, that I would point you to. One is Lot's wife. Lot's wife. You know how that Bible says, verse says, remember Lot's wife? Well, this is why. Because in her arrogance and in her desire to do what she wanted to do, she God had one plan for her. She wanted a different plan for her life. And so she looked back to go back to the other way and to look back, either even in just remorse and reminiscing about what she thought or what she had or whatever, and she became salt. That's weird to me, but whatever. <laughs> And then I thought of Jonah. I mean, you want to end up quickly in the belly of a fish? Be arrogant about the will of God for your life. I mean, that's what happened to Jonah. And not only, and here's the thing about Jonah, even when he got out of the whale and finally said, okay, fine, I'll go preach to the Ninevites, he did not want them to be saved. He hated the Ninevites, he wanted them to be lost and condemned. And so even in obeying the will of God, his heart was wrong. Are you with me? Why? It's that arrogance that can seep in. Here's the verse I want to point you to, Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean that if I'm a godly person if I work on holiness and humility and whatever else, if, I, if I'm a godly person, that then God will direct my steps. And he only directs the steps of the godly. That is not what that verse means. Here's what it means. It means that when someone is godly, they will give permission to God to direct their steps. It doesn't mean because I'm godly he directs my steps. It means when I'm godly, I choose to let God direct my steps. I step back from being the driver of my own car and give Him, Jesus, take the wheel. That was funny too. <laughs> right? I let God drive the car. And it's not because I'm godly. It's just because I'm choosing to do that out of the godliness that he has in mind. Do you see the difference that I'm talking about? Yes? Well, make sure you get it. Willful arrogance, though, will destroy godliness, thus, destroy the ability God has to direct somebody's life. Number two, not only will willful arrogance hijack God's will, understanding, we must understand our place in God's eternal will. Verse 13, he says, Your life, I mean, this is such comfort from James. Your life is just like a morning fog. It's here for a little while, poof, it's gone. Oof. I mean, we have this idea all throughout scripture. In Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and other places in the Bible, it says, Your life is a vapor that appears for a moment and then is gone. You're only here for a certain, you know, set amount of time. And then like a puff of smoke, you're gone. It's this infinite timeline that God has for our life. And so how is it possible that the 80 or so years that we have on this earth, that God has all these plans for us? Because in God's timeline, he doesn't see your 80 years. He sees eternity. He sees it all, and he has from the beginning seen it all. So this isn't a negative thing that our life is like a smoke. It just means it, it's really kind of magnificent, if you ask me, because God sees the end from the beginning, but he still chooses to inhabit your 80 years. Like, that's kind of magnificent, isn't it? God cares about your short life on this earth, you know, short compare, compared to, you know, eternity, our short life on this earth. And God's like, hey, I got great things for you to do. I got wonderful things for your life. In these 80 years, that's, that's what he's saying. Even though our life's like a smoke that appears and then it's gone, there's a magnificent truth that God wants us. And so look, here's the thing. The work of the kingdom that we do in our 80 years, when combined with everyone else's 80 years or 40 years or 100 years or however long God puts people on the earth, when you combine all that work, Going all the way back to the beginning, it adds up to an incredible compilation of God's kingdom in the world. Isn't that what Hebrews chapter 11 says at the end? He says that only, talking about all the heroes of the faith, but only when their faith is combined with our faith, when their works are combined with our works, does anything really happen. So what does that mean for you? It means that the time that you're on this earth, listen to me, is significant in the kingdom timeline. It's significant in the kingdom timeline. So if you negate the will of God, if you push it aside and decide not to engage it, you just whatever, whatever, and you don't do the will that God has for your life, you don't live in the will of God for your life, something in the kingdom timeline is missing. What what does that mean? You're all important. We're all important to the things that God wants to do in the kingdom of God. It's this truth. So Paul writes in Ephesians 5, be careful how you live. (laughs) Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. That's how we must live our lives in the will of God, understanding our place. Number three, if we're going to understand the will of God and live in it, we've got to, number three, submit to the sovereignty of God. This is really hard for a lot of people. And the reason it's really hard is because we always want to know why. Why did that happen? Why does God allow me to struggle with this? Why is this happening in my life? Why did that person pass away? Why all these things? And the Lord is just saying, you know what, if the Lord, here, James says it this way in verse 15, if the Lord wants us to, if the Lord leads us, if the Lord will will it, if the Lord will allow it. I would say this to you as a, as a Christian, you, you've got to put to rest the, uh, the striving that we have with the sovereignty of God and you just got to learn how to rest in the sovereignty of God. And, I'm, and It's great to say it and say amen, but it's hard to do. I have a, friend, a pastor friend of mine, wonderful, wonderful people who love Jesus and they've been trying to adopt uh, kids out of foster care forever and so they had this little girl that they were sure, you know, they had her for, I think, two years, and they were going to adopt her. And poof, she went back to her parents. They had another little boy. They were sure they were going to adopt him. Everything was going to happen. And poof, he went back. They had worked with an agency this is last winter, and this lady was going to give birth to a, a, a child right after Christmas, and then they were going to uh, have the baby, and like it was all set up, everything was good. And everything, everything was right, and, uh, you know, the, the lady didn't hear anything, you know, checking in with their hey, has everything going, I haven't had the baby. It's like the middle of January, she still hasn't had the baby. Found out she had the baby on December 26th and duped them out of money and duped the agency out of money uh, for the baby and kept the baby. And my friend, who's a godly person, says, why? Why, why would you... God, you know, that's how we say it, right? God, why would you do that to me? Why would you do that to me? Here's here's the problem. He's never going to tell you why. I know that hurts your feelings, right? But he's never going to tell you why. You know what he's going to say? Trust me. That's all I've ever gotten when I've asked why. (laughs) It's trust me. I I believe that when I get to heaven, maybe God will, if I still care, maybe God will tell me why. But otherwise, he just says, trust me, and it's this comfort that we have to come to With the sovereignty of God, just understanding that he is sovereign and we are not, that we don't get to decide these things. We don't get to understand that. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, I'm not going to read it, but he wrote about all the shipwrecks and the beatings and being left for dead and all these things. And then the apostle of the apostles gets himself parked in prison for preaching the gospel. And I promise you, while he and Silas sing worship praises to the Lord, there were at least a few moments where he said, what is this? Do you think that Paul had any inclination that his time in prison writing letters to the churches would have impact 2,000 years later? Do you think he had, because God didn't tell him why. God didn't, he didn't say, I'm writing all these letters so that there's a history of this and there's good theology. Because in 2022, I really want the church to have good theology. And so I'm going to make sure that we, we document these letters. And that Paul had no thought of that. You know what Paul thought he would do his whole life? He thought he would go on the mission field. He would plant churches. He would die somewhere because of the name of Christ be martyred for his death. He did get that one right. And... He would, he would do all these incredible things for God. What he ended up doing is spending the majority of his ministry in prison writing letters. You wouldn't be disappointed? But the sovereignty of God knew better than Paul knew. Are you with me? He wrote this in Philippians chapter 4, one of those prison letters that he wrote. He said, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned to be content whatever I have, meaning he's comfortable with the sovereignty of God. I know how to live uh, on almost nothing or with everything. I've had it all. I've had nothing. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with full, a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or a little. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that, that phrase, we, we use that as like, Woo, I can do all things through Christ. But if you look at the context, what he's really saying is, you know what? God's, God's got it, and I'm going to just trust his sovereignty. I'm going to be okay. Why? Because I can do everything with Jesus. Good, bad, ugly, up, down, left, right. I can do everything with Jesus. Long as he's with me, I've got this. It's the sovereignty of God. Number four, got to submit to the sovereignty of God. We've got to yield to his will. Yielding to his will will keep our perspective. Here's, Here's what it says in verse 16. Otherwise... If you'd go your own way, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is sin. Can I just say something nicely to you? Please don't be offended with what I'm going to say. God is not impressed with everything that you can accomplish through your giftings, abilities, skills, talents, degrees, and delightful personality. While those things, many of them are gifts of the Lord, he's not impressed with what you can do through them without him. God is not impressed with attitudes of self-dependence and this attitude of I deserve that. In fact, these kinds of attitudes are sidelines and eventually someone with those attitudes will be dismissed by God. Here's what God's interested in and it's the perspective we have to keep. How much more could God do with a yielded heart? What could God do with your yielded heart? What could God do with your yielded future and plans and hopes and dreams? What could God do with your yielded gifts and talents and skills? What could God do with your yielded college degree or higher education degree? What could God do with your yielded marriage and your yielded family? What could God do if you said to him, Lord, I trust your sovereignty and I understand that you're in control. And so I just yield my future to you. What could he do with that? Some of you say, even as I say that, you say God could do nothing with it because I have nothing. I have nothing to offer his will. Well, I got good news for you. God loves to take those of us with nothing, no pedigrees, no birthrights, no real gifts, no college degrees. And he loves redeeming us and doing great things through us anyway. Oh, don't misunderstand. I'm not disparaging college degrees. I have a master's degree. I'm thinking about my doctorate degree, okay? Not saying those are bad. I'm just saying when we lean on things like that instead of the power of God, we lose our perspective. He's impressed with your yielded life over things you can do on your own. And lastly, and this is kind of interesting, yielding to his will keeps you pure. Verse 17, it says, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. I mean, that's why when your kids lie to you, it's a sin. Because they know they shouldn't, but they do it. It's because it, it, it's why when you cheat on your taxes, it's a sin. It's why when you go out of mire and they forgot to ring up your water bottles because they're on the bottom. You're like, "Eh, I pay enough to those people. It's a sin. Are you with me? When we know what we ought to do and we don't do it, so it goes further. If you know God has a call in your life, you know there's something that he has for you that he wants you to accomplish that he's put you on this earth to do like plant a church or go in the mission field or serve in the kids ministry or be a great teacher whatever you know there's this thing that God has for your life that he's kind of shown you and defined for you and you choose to go a different direction friend that's sin because you know what he wants you to do but you choose not to do it that's what James said don't blame me don't don't shoot the messenger that's just what it says it's sin I want you to notice one more thing about it not only that but I want you to know this knowing Uh, is only one side of the coin. We've got to execute the Lord's will, but the implication here is God wants to make his will known to you. He doesn't want you to not know what it is. If if you know what the will of God is and you don't do it, it's sin. The implication is he wants you to know what to do. He wants you to know. How does he want us to know? Two things, I think, two things. One, his general will. General will. What do I mean by his general will? Well, it's called the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Like, if you can't live the commands of Jesus, if you can't live the statute of, statutes of Christ, if you can't follow after the things of God already revealed in the Bible, these are the things you don't have to pray about. Right? God, should I murder my neighbor? I mean, <laughs> what would your will be on that? You know, God, you know, I'm being facetious, but you get know what I'm saying. These are things you don't have to pray about. You don't have to ask God whether you should be good, whether you should turn the other cheek, whether you should honor those that persecute you. You don't, you don't have to pray about that. Am I right? It's already in the book. So that's the general will of God. We see it all around us. And then number two, the specific will of God. It's the knowable, understandable, and doable will that God has for your life. It's the doable will. I want to ask the worship team to join me. I think there are, I know I have like thirty-two sermons in this, but I think there are three three places how we execute the will of God. One is obedience to His general will, which we already talked about. The second is obedience in His specific will, following instructions and directions specific to your life. And, and I think there are three ways to do that: the basic stuff, your spouse, your career. Like you should, guys, you should really pay attention to who you marry. It'll make or break you. You marry the wrong person, you're in real trouble. And if everybody, if you're dating somebody, I'm just going to talk to the college kids for just a minute. If you're dating somebody, if you're dating somebody and everybody who loves you is like, I don't know about that, you better listen. I don't care how hot they are. You better listen. Because if you marry the wrong person, how many of you can attest if you marry the wrong person, it can wreck your life. So does God care about who you marry? Yes, yes. He cares about that. It's that basic submission to his will. Then there's the, the obedience and the hard stuff, the suffering, the abandoning comforts, the sacrifice, the leaving it all for the sake of the kingdom if God calls you to that. And not everybody is called to that, but there's the hard stuff in life where we still rest in the things of God. It's that whole sovereignty thing, basic stuff, hard stuff. And lastly, and I, I didn't know how to do this, but it's the illogical stuff. It's, it's the march around the city seven times and then scream, and I'll take the walls down. It's, it, like it's the stuff that God might speak to us and ask us to do that makes no sense to us. Like logically thinking through it, processing it, it doesn't make sense. But do you know how full the Bible is of illogical wills of God? You think God has changed, and suddenly in 2022, because of our prosperity and our ability and our theology and all these degree, all these things we have, that God suddenly went, you know what? I'm not going to ask him to do illogical things anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm praying God asks you to do illogical things tomorrow, like, hey, see that kid over there? Why don't you go talk to him and see if you can pray for him? Like you would never, I would never. I'm an introvert. I'm an Enneagram 4. I could never do that. And God God says, yes, you can. (laughs) It's theological things. You know what, though? It's theological things that prove who he is. Obedience, the basic things, obedience in the instructions for our life. And the last one is this. Obedience for a really long time in the same direction without wavering. Obedience for a really long time in the same direction without wavering. It's the whole thing. It's walking with God. It's learning his will. It's trusting his will. It's living in his will. But I can tell you this. If you've never taken the first step to receive Christ as your savior, you'll never find his perfect will for your life. You'll never live in it. You'll never walk in it. You'll never discover it because it all begins with the decision to follow the number one will of God for all creation and that is to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And I want to start with that because I really believe that's the starting place. If you have never received the Lord or maybe you've received him but wandered away from him and you've gone your own path, and you've realized the treachery of walking your own path. And today you would say, you know what, I've got to fix it. I've got to get to that place where Jesus is the Lord of my life. If you've never been saved before, you've never responded to Christ before, but you know that today is the starting point and you need to respond to Jesus. Now's your moment. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna ask God to, to do that great work in your life, but you have to do something too. You have to acknowledge that I need a savior, that that's me, man. I need to start off the will of God in my life by receiving Jesus as my Lord. If you're here in this room, all across this room, every head bowed and every eye closed, please. This is a moment for them, for the each, each of us with the Lord. But if that's you, would you slip your hand up? I'll acknowledge it. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Others, thank you. Others, you want to take a step today. Thank you. To walk in, to step in to the will of God for your life. To step in to the will of God for your life and see what he'll do. Anyone else? I've seen three. I'm looking in the balcony. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you raised your hand, I just want you to pray right now. I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me because I don't really think that's a great way to do it. I'm going to ask you to say it to the Lord yourself. But I'll pray louder than you. So you pray for yourself. Confess your sin, not individually. We'd be here all night if we all had to do that. But would you just ask the Lord to forgive you and be Lord of your life? Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hand. I thank you for their heart. I thank you for their boldness, for the courage. Even in this moment, God, to lift their hand and ask you, Lord, to be the Lord of their life. So, Lord, as they pray this prayer for themselves, God, would you acknowledge it? Would you come in and cleanse them and become Lord of their life, giving you everything so that they can serve you all the days that they live? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says you're saved. You've come into the family of God. That's a powerful, powerful thing. Number two. Maybe you're here today and you, if you're honest with yourself, you'd say, you know what, I have really struggled to be obedient to the revealed word of God. I've lived outside of morality. I've lived outside of the bounds that God has set up for people, for humans, for Christians. And I just, man, I've got to get back to that moment where I am living in the will of God, the revealed word of God, the biblical Word of the Lord. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up all over the room. Come on. You struggled with sin. You struggled with compromise. You struggled with things that are not of the Lord. Thank you. I see several hands, many hands all over the room. Anyone else? I'm going to wait just a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, would you pray for yourself, just like we just did, confess your sin and ask God to give you freedom. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for these that have raised their hand to live biblically, God, to begin to live for you in every capacity, God, and, and live in the revealed word of the Lord. Lord, would you give us courage? Would you give us strength? Would you help us, God, to identify those areas of compromise and those areas of brokenness, those areas where we're, we're choosing to sin rather to, than to, to submit to your sovereignty? And God, forgive us. First, forgive us. Make us righteous, Lord. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But Lord, your gift of salvation is powerful and complete. So Lord, would you minister right now to each of these in Jesus' name. Lastly and I just really I just really felt this one. If you're here and you're if you're honest with yourself, you've not really surrendered your future. You think you're settled, you think you figured it all out, you think you know what God has for you, but the but the truth of the matter is you're in that place. It's not that you're arrogant, but you're you're kind of leaving God out of the equation. You've chosen the career path you want. Maybe you're in a career path right now, or maybe you've walked away from a call that God had on your life and you know it. You know it right now that you have not fully surrendered your future and the the plans God has to the will of God and you're trying to go your own way. And today you wanna say, I don't wanna do that anymore, I'm gonna stop it and I'm gonna come back to to allowing God to have his way in my life. If that's you all over the room, lift your hand again. I know we're doing a lot of hand lifting, but I wanna do it. I see several hands all over the room, all over the room, all over the room. Jesus, you see these hands. You see these people. God, we return to your will. We return to your purposes and to your plan. We give you our future. We give you our dreams. We give you our hopes. We give you our gifts and our talents and our skills and our degrees and all these things. We surrender them to you so that your will will be accomplished in our life. God, we, we get comfortable with your sovereignty. Lord, we choose to rest in you. So you and us, God, do what you want to do and what your will is. Help us to find what your will is and to do it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.